What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Mono with Intuitive Minds Podcast. This is episode 52, and today's guest, we have CEO of Municipal, Harry Arnett. What's going on, man? How you doing today? All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a part of this, man. So uh, how's your day going so far? How's uh, how's it going handling COVID and everything? So, so far, so good. I, I think that any any of us that that are have skirted around it, we're, we're blessed. So mm-hmm. um, haven't had... Haven't had COVID affect me personally yet. I say yet because I God. feel like probably just a matter of time. But um, mm-hmm. doing, well, I mean, doing... yeah, don't I wouldn't say that. So be careful saying that. <laughs> I'll say positive. Wanna, yeah, don't don't want to manifest all that. <laughs> exactly. No, but um, now break down on who Harry Arnett is and where he grew up and how he got started. Ooh, how much time you got, Marin? Uh, a I, lot, I, a I, lot. We can we can do this. We'll we can keep do this going. all day. <laughs> yep. This would be like a 10 parter. I grew up in, um, in Atlanta, Georgia, um, born and raised in the state of Georgia mm-hmm. and lived in the Southeast pretty much my entire life. I went to college in Atlanta at Emory university, um, grad school, uh, in the Southeast at Duke and lived there really until my mid thirties before moving out to, mm. out to California. So I consider myself a Southerner, even though I'm in, I'm in Southern California. Um, oh man! So the cult. So it must have been a complete culture shock for you then. Kinda, kinda. You, uh, you know, in the South, when you grow up, mm-hmm. you know everybody. You know right. all your neighbors. You know if if there are thirty people that live on your street, you know them all intimately. And oh, I certainly, okay. I certainly grew up in that type of environment. With my parents were were very, um, very social and connected. And my, you know, my mom was a type that. If you went to the grocery store with her, you needed to be prepared that you're going to be there a while because she's going to talk to everybody. Mm. So, um, but then coming out here in, in I'm in San Diego area, so a little little south of of Los Angeles. Los Angeles, yeah. It's people are very friendly, but you don't really know your neighbors as much, right? So yeah. um, people kind of stick to their own thing and are into their own things out here. Mm-hmm. So it, that part was um, was really different, and of course, growing up in Atlanta and living there for most of my life, um, I felt like I knew the not just the the area but the community quite well. Yeah. But coming here, we were definitely strangers, strangers mm-hmm. in a strange land. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can definitely attest to that because I've been <laughs> in in America for only twenty years. I'm from right. Albania, so and yeah. So when you mentioned the whole, like, everybody kind of knew everybody, it was kind of similar to my situation as well, where uh, I would go to like the gro- to the grocery store and I would like tell the grocery man, like, yo, could you pack this and this and this and this and this? And then when my mom gets home from work, she'll pay for it. Yeah, right. It was, it was kind of like that, like, okay, cool. So, you know, you're the neighborhood kid. We know you. Everybody knows everybody. So, yeah, definitely a test to all of that. And then come in here, the suburbs, and it's like, what the fuck is all of this? completely different you know it's silly things just knowing how to get to places without a mm-hmm. gps necessarily is mm-hmm. there's just a comfort level there and i i always liked being in a place where i would you'd run into people you knew pretty frequently and then yeah. here even though where i grew up in atlanta is quite a big place um coming here just doesn't happen as often so you i definitely feel even to this day, now that it's close to 15 years of being out here, um, when I when I get off a plane, for example, back back in Atlanta and Georgia, I, I feel I feel like I'm at home. Where 
here it's a different feeling altogether man so it's like so do you feel like so is it more of like i mean obviously you live in 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 california so it's like you feel more home home back like you feel like just relaxing and taking atlanta in every time you're there you don't feel like working is that some type of thing kind of i think probably a lot of people feel that way where they grew up Mm -hmm. they would they would list that as their home Mm -hmm. where versus where they've lived even if they've lived where they have for quite a while and I'm, I'm, I'm certainly that same way. Although we love it out here. Right. It's, it's the best place, you know, the best weather in the world. And um, there's so much to do here. Mm-hmm. Just there's something about being close to family and friends that you grew up with that really has more like of a, has the, uh, feels more like home in terms of the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And you could talk a, a lot more stuff. Like you can, you can just shy away from work and just, <laughs> what's going on with you? Now, what's going on with you? I want to know you are the out of towner. You're the one that's left home, so I want to know what's going on with you. And it, it's the, and it, 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 people get appalled by the stories that that they hear. Like, because I remember when I started my journey, I went from Virginia to New York to LA. So it's like three different cultures, three different culture shocks. And then every time I come back to Virginia, it's like home. And then everybody was like, "So how's your journey?" And then I'd have to explain myself over and over and over and over. It got completely repetitive because everybody's always been sheltered in one place all their lives. So when they see somebody kind of step out of the zone, it's like your story is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's you know now in <clears throat> any kind of urban place, um, and we're more suburban than urban. You you have people from all over the place, but I feel like in in Southern California, people are more apt to stay here. So if they're from here, they stay here. Yeah. Where growing up in Atlanta, as I, like I said, for 35 years and really saw the growth of, of the city, um, it's really a city of transplants mostly. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, but here is kind of different. It's, even though it's growing, it's obviously growing and it's a really populous place. Mm-hmm. You feel like people that live around here have been here all of their lives. Yeah. And there's a joke, you know, you, you're in, in, especially in Southern California, there's a joke that they can't, they can't even really name any of the states that are east of here. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so they live in, they, everybody here lives in there in a little, in bubble. A little uh, utopic bubble because it's so, the weather's perfect. There's really no seasonal change. If, especially in where I am in coastal, um, on the coast, the mm-hmm. temperature range goes from 65 to 72, and that's pretty much where it is all the time. How often do you make trips to LA? Do you make a uh, trip often over there? I, I go there a lot now, just ever since we started this business municipal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The two um, other co-founders along with me live up in LA, so I'm, I'm up there quite a bit. Yeah, now, yeah, I would imagine. During the, during the, um, the quarantine, the in the pandemic, I haven't been up there as much just because trying to stay safe. But up until that point, for really six or seven months, I was I was up there um, at least once a week. Mm-hmm. So, and it's uh, it's funny being ninety miles away. It's it, Los Angeles. You've lived there. It's quite different yep. mm-hmm. to where to where I am. So it's 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 a it's a bustling a bustling place, and yep. I. That's a place where I absolutely have to have my GPS clicking on all cylinders how to get to one place to another. If you one wrong turn and yeah. you are stuck, you are stuck. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot and a lot of people are starting to take Ubers now because they don't want to drive through the traffic. They just rather have the, the Uber driver 
fly through the waves. Every time I got into an Uber in LA, they're like, yeah, we get a lot more people now. People leave their cars in the parking lot. And I noticed that too. I'm like, yeah, they do. They just rather have the Ubers just pick them up and take them because traffic is is intense in LA for those I that live there. I, I, I would absolutely be on, if I lived up there, I'd be Uber, electric bike, anything mm -hmm. to avoid anything to avoid driving traffic yeah you know mm -hmm. but being that this uh podcast is entertainment who are some of your people that you grew up like inspired you like that you grew up that inspired you musically yeah i you know i my music tastes um were really really diverse back in you know my kind of formative time you know, I, I I think I read somewhere that all of your music tastes you develop before you uh, before you hit 25. And that's kind of been the same for me. So um, mm. I was I was fortunate. My my dad, huge influence on me growing up where I did because he was he was in that category, and I consider myself in the same category of, a, mm -hmm. of an incredibly progressive thinker. And um, so he he introduced me to R&B from the 50s and 60s. I grew up listening to Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Coasters. Nice. I mean, just as a kid, you know, no one was really yeah. doing so My dad introduced me to that. And then later, he was really interested in um, in the influences on on whatever was popular at the time. So got into got into a lot of reggae in the in the early 80s. And then that that was also compounded by just general kind of American popular music, like the cars um, were, you know, a band that I really liked a lot. And then being from the South, as I started to get more sophisticated, I say that with a smile on my face, <laughs> um, I started to listen to a lot of the, a lot of the music that was more regional, like REM mm -hmm. um, and some local, some local stuff. And then that, really had me gravitating more towards singer songwriters and Americana, which is kind of where my taste is now. Mm, nice. So diverse, very diverse. In, in yeah. I mean, all over the place. If, you, know, if you were, place. if you were to look at my car in when I was in high school and college on the, on the, uh, on the ground with all the CDs spread out, you, you, you'd have, Mm -hmm. you'd have stuff from all kinds of stuff in there which genre did you relate more towards like that you felt more like yeah i could relate to this artist more or this genre more out of all the different genres that you listen to out of all of diversity i mean i really gravitated towards singer songwriters you know even at that time if i'm thinking of when i really started to pay attention and really started to be able to curate my own taste mm -hmm. And not just whatever whatever was playing on the radio at the time, or whatever was um, handed to me by friends. I mentioned I had mentioned REM, right? Um, and that introduced me to a whole world of folks that were were writing and performing, and really based on on lyrics mm -hmm. more so than melody, like Steve Earle. Steve Earle, um, yeah. Love Steve Earle, Lucinda Williams, mm -hmm. um, the, the Uncle Tupelo, which really became Sunvolt and Wilco, and that's that's the classics. I know what I listen to today. You know, mm -hmm. that's 25 years ago. Like I said, that's that's who I'm listening to now. If you if you look on my mm -hmm. uh, on my shuffle, you're going to get a, a really heavy dose of 
of Lucinda Williams, Steve Earle, Sun Bowl. Mm -hmm. hey, hey, that's not a bad playlist. <laughs> that is not a blip. Nope. For especially for like stay at home. Yeah. It is not exactly. a bad playlist. Exactly. Um, put throw that in the speaker and just yeah, so jazz is for me. Anything, it's John Caltrone. When I'm like working, it's John Caltrone for me. It's like I go to that guy every time. And it's yeah. like by the by the like five minutes, I didn't realize that, wow, I'm on the third track already. Because it just flows so smoothly because that's it's just like a stay-at-home music. Well, you get lost in it too because mm -hmm. uh, uh, there's no, it's not really constrained by time and space in the same right. way pop music is, which is mm -hmm. you try to, Every every pop song, at least you know, in a certain era, you're trying to fit into a two and a half to four minute mm -hmm. window, mm -hmm. and then of course jazz and and um, and punk sort of put their middle finger to that. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, if the, if if the if the song is going to be 10, 12 minutes, great, right. let's go for it. You know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You end now, up with you end up with these albums like Miles Davis, and you look at it. Um, and you look on the back and it's like, wait a minute, this album's like 48 minutes long and there are four songs on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That possible? yeah. Yeah. Um, now moving forward now from what I've noticed is golf is a big, was a big part of your life. Um, was that like something from the get go or is that something you picked up during your, no, found it myself. You know, like a common theme really for me is, um, is, kind of being on my own and, and some self-discovery around mm -hmm. things. I, I picked up the game fairly late. I was a soccer player growing up, played soccer in college. Okay. Um, it was really more about team sports. Mm -hmm. And then my first, my first job out of college, I worked at a sports radio station in Atlanta. And I worked these really bizarre hours. I was, um, this was pre-digital so mm -hmm. i would i'd be at, at games at night getting home at midnight one o'clock in the morning um after being in locker rooms pulling tape in the station at at 4 30 in the morning cutting the tape and producing morning radio which we went on the air at six so we'd be six to ten mm -hmm. so i ended up with these it really precludes you from having any social life. Yeah, number yeah. one, number two, your 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 waking hours are strange, mm -hmm. uh, are weird. So you end up. I'd leave the station at ten o'clock in the afternoon, yeah. and go home, take a nap. Sometimes I'd nap right there in the station. So I'd have these I'd have these chunks of time in the afternoon, and I ended up working with one of my good friends and colleagues at the radio station was was a college golfer mm -hmm. really into the game had a family that was very into the game he kind of recommended you, you should take up golf because it's a great you can play it by yourself for one and sure. the other thing i was really wanting was something that was outside so it gets you outside and it's it's was kind of a good fit for me on a lot of levels for a game that i liked because you never master it. So you're always, it's a, it's a constant pursuit of trying to, trying to improve the, your ability. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's sort of like going on a hike with, um, with a game attached to it. So I got really into it in my early twenties and it became pretty deep passion. And then ultimately I found my way once I left 
media working for a couple of really big fun golf companies. So mm -hmm. it became a, it became a vocation at the same, you know, in addition to being a passion. Uh, and then, so did you pick up any like favorite golfers throughout the time? Do you have any like favorite golfers? Did you pick anyone up? Like as you started you know, watching? Kind of, you know, I, I always respected the play of the game more than, and the, and the places that golf took me more so than the, how people were playing it at the professional level. So even as a, even when I started to work for golf companies um, and got to know a lot of these guys personally, I was never, never had favorites necessarily. I was more respecting of, of people that were doing it at a high level, irrespective of who they were. So I, I, you know, I, I, at that time, really inspired by Tiger Woods and just folks that were really transcendent. And I always, I always gravitated towards the the players that I felt like were were much more human, and and I connected a lot more with some of the um, imperfections, also. Right, right. What would you say? Like, what would the imperfections? How do you? What do you mean by that? What were some of the imperfections? Well, I just mean authenticity. You know, the and I that's that's the same for me for all the athletes. Even when I was in media and covering them, is mm -hmm. I really I really liked to and rooted for the ones that that really were much more authentic and less about less about their brands and more about being the game being true and and transparent about the the struggle mm -hmm. and the journey and the the process of becoming great those were that that was hard those are hard to find because yeah so much of what you see is is packaged up by brands and media to to present to you an image rather than who they actually are but I always, I always, but I always liked the guys that really would, you know, just to, even going back to starting in, in my media days, I really always respected the, the players and coaches and, and executives that would give us the time, even in times when, uh, when they were in times of failure, not necessarily the ones that would give you their time when they were succeeding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, did you, you mentioned Tiger Woods. Did you end up watching the, the documentary? The yeah, documentary? saw it, saw both of them. Um, it was, you know, from my perspective, having kind of lived through all that, mm -hmm. it really was, I don't, it wasn't all that revealing. It just kind of reminded me of a lot of the things that we had all probably forgotten about. Through, I mean, here's a guy, he, he literally has been in the public eye for 30 years. Yeah. I feel like we've known him his entire life because we basically have. True. He, yeah. He did start at like what, 15, 16? Yeah. I think he played in his first, first professional event when he was 14, 15, 14, yeah. the LA Open, and then won his first, um, his first, uh, USAM at 16. So, yeah. I mean, we've known this guy his entire life. Mm -hmm. Now, would you say that, like, for example, his pro, his approach, for example, to the game and the understanding of the game, what were your thoughts before you watching the doctor did you, or did the doc not change anything like your thoughts were the same way how, how he approached it, I, it didn't it really didn't change anything for me i i i thought the a couple things in at the at the end of it i thought exactly what i just said is here's a guy that we really have have seen and had had the most intense scrutiny right. mm -hmm. 30 plus years and really nobody really knows him 
mm-hmm. um, even the folks that are close to him don't really have a good grasp on who who the real person is mm-hmm. and that that's really connected to his operating model if you will about how he was able to become you know one of the best one or two players mm-hmm. to ever played the game that's what that's what had to work for him he had to he had to create a a persona that was well armored well armored yeah. and was not able for anyone to penetrate it mm-hmm. in order for him to get to that level and stay at that level mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned like he he kind of you mentioned like him kind of zoning out and i there was a there was a part in the documentary where the he had a psychiatrist or something like that or a psychologist or something like that that would hypnotize him so he could zen out at certain moments when and block everything i don't know if you remember that part yeah i mean in that wild i guess it's something that um so that's what I mean, but like, did anything change in that perspective? Like knowing little details like that, like, cause to me, I'm like, yo, that changes everything as far as his approach to the game and how he does it and why he's able to come back so much. Yeah. Block out all of the, all of the outside distractions. Mm-hmm. And that's, he kind of lived his personal life. He lives his personal life that same way where yeah. he's able to, I think they said he's able to compartmentalize mm-hmm. things that are going on in his life. And that's, that's very true. That's part of that armor. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he, and his comebacks is what, what always like, fascinated him. I was like, every time he came back in, in that golf course, he won that championship minus one or two. It's yeah. I mean, you never can count him out. I mean, at his, yeah. at his peak, he was so far and away better than the the field. Mm-hmm. One of the cool things about the game, especially at the highest level, is there's incredible parity. You know, on any on any given any given year on the PJ Tour, at least you have 25, 30 different winners. So there's incredible mm-hmm. parity. When he was at his peak he indexed above the field every single week at a higher rate than than anybody that's ever played and when he played anywhere near to his potential nobody had a chance and at the times when he was playing at his highest level you saw that mm-hmm. he would beat and remember this is this is like this is like a, a sport where there's incredible parity it's not like tennis where three or four people when you know Federer Djokovic and and uh Rafa won 98% of the major titles when they were you know over a 15 year period golf's not like that right. but yeah. when he was when he was at his peak he was significantly better than everyone else yeah. and that you know we're we're just not going to see that again i don't think in the sport now i mean now now if, if a player wins two majors in a year that's that's phenomenal or three or four three or four events in a year that's phenomenal but uh tiger was winning seven eight events a year and he of course he won was years in a row and um something like 12 or 13 majors in a in a five or six year period you know we're just not going to see that again for another for another what 20 years you say maybe or just never again i just don't think it's going to happen again because there there are too many there, there's there's so many good players now 
mm-hmm. um, playing at a high level, you know, which there were then, but he was, he was just, he was transcendent. Uh, I mean, you got to remember six months old, you're swinging that thing. Yeah. Isn't that crazy that we, yeah. we have that, we have that footage of him as a 18 month old. That's what I mean by like yeah. the, my way of thinking the way he plays the game. It's like, I didn't, I didn't realize he was that hooked into it. I just thought, he just picked it up because okay his dad kind of just said okay try this at 16 or 17 i didn't realize it was like whoa at a really young age at six months years old at two years old he perfected his form yeah had a plan right dad has had dad had a plan for him they weren't gonna they weren't gonna waver it crazy crazy kind of goes back to like the whole jackson five and you know uh, (laughs) you know what i'm saying like yeah but the yeah. greats, the greats sometimes had to come out that way. But it's it's kind of sad. But it's kind of like something good came out of it, though. You got what yeah. you so, yeah. and he it's still something, and he's still hooked on it. He's still he kind of reminds me of Kevin Hart in a sense of Kevin Hart works, 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 works. Like he's always working, always working, always working. But then he had that side of if I go to Las Vegas, I'm gonna do some dumb shit and get caught in the cameras, and then I'm fucked. <laughs> you get what i'm saying so i'm kind of i kind of thought that i thought that watching i'm like it's kind of like kevin hart so it's kind of like how it's funny how the entertainment is kind of it kind of cycles but in different forms yep well it's that it's the it's that common the common thread for i think people that are extremely successful in in whatever field they're in is continuous re-examination of of where they are, mm-hmm. what what flaws hold them back, and um, a real honesty and integrity about about improvement, mm-hmm. and and I think the the part that keeps them great is they there's a real and you in Tiger to an extreme, yeah, um, is there's a real discontentment, you know, a healthy discontentment. Mm-hmm. In Tiger's case, maybe you could say an unhealthy discontentment, but mm-hmm a real healthy discontentment with the status quo. So even at a time when he was on top of the field that he wanted to conquer, it was his life dream to conquer, mm-hmm. conquer the sport undisputed, the undisputed golf champion of the yeah. world. Mm-hmm. He was discontented and wanted to continue to reinvent his performance mm-hmm. self. And That's- that, that drive, that, that drive is something that a lot of us can't even comprehend. Comprehend, yeah, and fathom, yeah. Because we're we're as humans are more we're more driven to reach comfort and mm-hmm. to reach status and mm-hmm. to to kind of count. Especially if if we're really successful, you, your scorecard is sort of what you've accomplished along the way. And right. I don't just mean um, I don't just mean the. Ex- extrinsics i i mean the intrinsic the intrinsic rewards of of being at the very top of your field or being recognized as such and with that comfort is going to be linked to complacency and there's not there's nothing there's nothing wrong about that necessarily but for the, the true the true legends right yeah they they are never satisfied with whatever an whatever example is michael jordan you know, basketball, and, like, and you see these, you see these guys like Jordan and Michael and um, Tiger, and this is just sports, but I think business people are the same way. They, they, they are constantly, 
coming up with narratives that maybe aren't even connected to reality mm-hmm. that drive that drive their ambition. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, the Jordan we mentioned documentaries. The Jordan documentary was fascinating right. to me because, and I think a lot more revealing than the Tiger one, frankly, probably because Jordan was. Now, did that change your approach and how you see him and how he played the game before you watched it? And oh, sure, yeah, because you know we haven't seen Michael Jordan for sure emote or let us let us peek under the hood of what was driving his his greatness. But he had a real sense of, there was a real kind of rage mm-hmm. to him and a real spite yeah. Uh, yeah. against, you know, whatever it was that was in his way of competitiveness. Like the Isaac one, him not shaking his hand uh, when, you know what I mean, they didn't win the championship. Yeah, and just making up a narrative about that that's going to drive his preparation and intensity Mm -hmm. and, you know, match that up with intensity and drive and ambition plus just, you know, elite athletic ability and you you end up with one of the profoundly transcendent athletes the 20th century even jordan like you mentioned like uh there's the healthy way of like growing up with how a parent like kind of trains you to be jordan kind of had that healthy way of like because he also had that space in college you know what i mean like his dad let him do his thing like if you mess up you know what i mean so yeah but that competitive that's it was similar but in a healthier way if you know so yeah i think so and i think a little different being a part of a team sport because in in individual sports you do have to have a team around you but it's a different it's a di- in a different way where mm-hmm. in a team sport not only do you, do you need to drive and right. business is a lot is this way too in in a team sport not only does your performance rely on on self but you really have to you really have to be able to inspire and drive performance of those around you as much as you do yourself. And that I think that's something that Jordan in particular really started to appreciate and learn once he, you know, once he got more experienced. And I, I don't think he won his first his first title till he was in his late 20s, for 20s, example. Yeah, yeah. Then once once that happened, it was like the floodgates opened. Yeah, <laughs> and it felt over. like he never lost again. But yeah. so once he was able to master his own leadership style, you know, is really what that is, his own leadership style and what worked for him and worked for the those around him, then you you in a team setting, you you reach these, you reach these levels that are that are you know, historically good. And he played with players that turned out to be great coaches in the end. Yeah. Know? I mean, a few, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay. One of those teams uh, for one who's won quite a few championships and, you know, who got to see that Steve Kerr, a lot of, a lot of times the best coaches, uh, most of the time, actually the best coaches are, are not the best players. They're True. because they're, they're able to see with a more, they're able to see the, what's, what's, creating success right. with a more objective with more objective viewpoint than than the folks that are are the elite performers mm-hmm. and they understand that they understand the For they sure, understand yeah. the mindset of the role player significantly mm-hmm. more than than somebody who's not a role player mm-hmm. yeah i mean i didn't grow up here so i didn't know that steve played with uh the bulls i wasn't yeah. like into the yeah i was like wait wait what 
I was thrown off. Like that documentary threw me off in a lot of different ways because I didn't grow up here. So I didn't know Michael Jordan in the 90s. I didn't get that feel of like everybody going crazy every time they saw him and like it kind of stressed him over and stuff like that. As I'm speaking of Jordan, his car recently just went to auction or something like that for like 300,000 or something like that. Did you buy it? No, no, no. <laughs> it was, the, it's the, it's no, I'm not buying that. 300, 400,000. It's the You're black right. Mercedes. The black yeah. Mercedes. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, let's go. $400,000. Insane. Yep. So, man, hey, we'll see. We'll see who buys it. Somebody Somebody will buy it. Sure. Yeah. Somebody will have that $400,000. So, especially as the market cap keeps growing. So, $400,000 is somebody's going to be like, all right, cool. I'll pay this and I'll keep it. Nothing. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I'll sell it for $3 million later on. $4 million. Crazy, crazy. Speaking mm-hmm. of, uh, you mentioned business. Uh, now, speaking of business, you involved into marketing and branding and stuff like that. What do you What do you think is your understanding of enormous opportunity in branding and content, as well as the challenges of it? Well, I think everything starts with the consumer. And we were talking mm-hmm. about music earlier. Is there's an audience for everything? And I think that the 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 intersection of all the things that you just talked about, from product to entertainment to mm-hmm. um, to technology is at the center of that is the consumer right and the the really cool part i think where we are today especially for brands is every brand has an opportunity to to reach their target consumer target audience more directly than ever it's a much more open system exactly Mm -hmm. now with that brings a lot more competition Mm -hmm. so i think that from a branding perspective, the the really cool part and the fun part is one of the and one of the reasons why I wanted to create create a new brand was is that you you have it really separates the brands that have a really crystalline resonant positioning and message mm-hmm. that they believe in from the CEO all the way down to entry level that then they can they can connect and engage with their consumers consistently and clearly better faster more completely and more exactly. uniquely than their competition does mm-hmm. and i think that's that's really the thing i think that's so cool because it you know, when 25 years ago, you'd hear about brands that kind of started in yeah in, in a garage or something, mm-hmm. but that always seemed like folklore. Okay, um, and may, or maybe you'd hear of a of a Hewlett Packard starting in you know David Packard's garage, and that would happen, or you'd hear about Phil Knight starting Nike out of the back of his car, mm-hmm. and then more lately, you'd hear about um, Kevin Plank starting Under Armour and his in his grandmother's house, but hmm. there weren't a lot, there weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of success stories like that. And, yeah. it, and, you know, now I think the opportunity for, for brands or ideas to get to the market fast and effectively are much more available. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, make, it doesn't mean it's easy. It's, it doesn't yeah. mean it's easy, but it's a lot more available. So I think that's we're in a really cool space too. part, yeah. Where you know, and I think the the way that the way that people are engaging with brands is so different now, even than it was five or ten years ago, because it's it really is. Um, and you even think about like the 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 
not to cut you off, but you think about like the e-commerce, you know, you don't even have to like get your product. Like you can have a, a drop shipper or have like a, an, an outside third party, create your t-shirts from that party. And then they will send it to the consumer, like stuff like that all from home. You know what I mean? So the- absolutely. There, there are all kinds of ways to, to piece together the supply chain that mm-hmm. are much more virtually than ever mm-hmm. to to take a look at the full value chain in 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 ways that were are a lot more open than they ever have been mm-hmm. and from the branding and communication part of it is really you know making a business out of a niche um and that's that's what I always talk to people about when mm-hmm. you know people are always wondering because I, I left a I left a really established company a, mm-hmm. an executive role at a really established company had a great a job I liked a lot I worked for a, a person I respected the hell out of still do and with a team I loved mm-hmm. and left that behind to start something new and everybody's everybody that uh, I know who kind of checks in on me is like, what's the, what's the, what do you think the key is if you're going to start something on your own? Mm-hmm. And I always answer it probably differently than what a, what a business textbook would certainly say. Cause you know, a business textbook would tell you to take a look at the addressable market size mm-hmm. and segment it in a way that is meaningful enough, position your, position your brand in a way that's okay. going to garner the, the most potential market share. And I think all that is definitely true. Target Uh, markets and all of that jazz. I think all that's definitely true. But as a founder, the the, really the most thing is, is irrespective of all that, do something you're passionate about Mm -hmm. and for a consumer that you're passionate about. And you want to, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and do work you love with people you love Mm -hmm. because you can make a business out of that. Yeah, easy. You can. And rather than okay, let me let me go into the pet pet food yeah, <laughs> uh, industry which is 80 billion dollars because it's massive and it's 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 ripe for disruption and innovation as an entrepreneur and then somebody says, "Oh, you love pets." Huh? You're like, "Well, not really." Well, no, you're not yeah. you're, not, you're not going to be successful because yeah. <laughs> you have to love it. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, it, it's if if you're someone that loves, you know, dancing, for example, then start something in start something that's going to that's going to change the lives of right. other like you that love dancing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for example i don't happen to love dancing so right 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 <laughs> but now speaking of uh actually dancing now that's a good segue now outside of the outside of like what you do with like municipal and on stuff what are some other hobbies you have like outside of your job that you like to do it's even weird to talk about it now because it doesn't feel like i've done much for 10 yeah. months we've been <laughs> we've been shut down mm-hmm. but we mentioned before i like to i like to i like to play golf my wife and I and our kids love to travel. Okay. So we've really missed that being kind of cooped up. But we love going to and we're a little different because we like to go to we like to go to cities. So we'll go to um, our, our travel. Our favorite thing is to go to a city for five, five days or a week and kind of see the entire city as much of the city as we can. Nice. So we love to travel. Oh, and um, I'm also uh, also am a I'm a pretty avid reader, so 
any any night you're going to catch me probably sitting there with a book on my lap um in a in a nice comfortable chair with uh with you know something nice to drink next to me <laughs> that's <laughs> so my happy zone. so that's covid happy. covid kind of really didn't change anything for it didn't no it? you know it, it's it it kind of simplified i yeah, think exactly. everybody <laughs> could simplify because i also like to i also like to work out and run and and mm-hmm. um be in the gym and so um all of that is kind of the same the only part i think that i we haven't been able to do is travel and and you know that goes for everybody so um i really miss that i'm really looking forward to getting back to some of those things that we like to do beforehand and you know not to mention just the human connection part exactly yeah this has really has really been challenging for everybody mm-hmm. now uh CEO of Municipal, you obviously started this company with two other people, uh, Mark and Mark Wahlberg and Steve Levinson, legends in Hollywood. How did that relate? How did those that relationship start between the three of you? I met Mark almost 10 years ago through a mutual friend back when I was I was working in the in the golf industry. Mark, Mm -hmm. avid golfer, um, loves the game and met him through that. And we we stayed friendly and connected along the way. And during that time, Mark was, was really starting to be passionate about using his interests and platform to, to innovate in other in businesses outside of entertainment. Mm -hmm. And he, if you know, Mark, which, you know, everybody does, you know, that Mark is, is, uh, is, extraordinarily passionate about health and wellness and mm-hmm. physical fitness. Mm-hmm. And so the first kind of things that he was involved in were in, in, uh, in those, in those spaces. Yep. And he kind of, you know, I sort of watched as he was starting to do a lot of these things outside of entertainment. And of course um, he still, still is, is continuing to broaden his impact in the entertainment world. Mm-hmm beyond just what you see him exactly. um, on camera. So even off camera as a producer. Mark Wahlberger's. And a content creator, yeah. And then Wahlberger's, uh, Mark Wahlberg Chevrolet, mm-hmm. uh, performance inspired, uh, Aqua Hydrate, F45 Gyms. Yep. And when we were talking about, in a really abstract way, the the opportunity and the, um, the, the importance of brands to transcend only being transactional to selling goods, but to really act as a as a partner and an inspiration for people to make meaningful change in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I always looked at my role, even as a as an executive and a, a CMO, even in the golf world, as as trying to do that for people mm-hmm. to to make kind of meaningful meaningful change in their lives, the game of golf, mm-hmm. not just trying to hit it farther, but the impact of, right, of connecting with people, connecting with friends, being, being outside the, the, just having something that's fun and, and the enjoyment that, mm-hmm. and the, the delight that, that the game can bring can be transformative. And so we were really more talking or I was, I was resonating with what he was talking about on that level. Mm -hmm. And we, we 
talked about we should do a brand together. Right. And that's that's where um, Steve Levinson came. He's He's been partners with Mark for almost time. 30 years now. Yeah. And they had they had really done a lot of really transformative things within the entertainment space and really changed it, um, changed the game in kind of their own way. And and so he he had introduced me to to Lev and they were they were ready to do a brand. And um this was at a time, as I mentioned before, where I was I had a, a job I loved working in a place I loved and was on a pretty traditional career path mm -hmm. track there and at an executive level. And I just felt like for me personally, the the opportunity to start something from scratch in an entrepreneurial way to change the way that that brands interact with their fans and their consumers in a in a positive way to help make meaningful change to people mm -hmm. was again was one that that you know it just felt like a real calling to oh, me yeah, to do yeah. that and to create a team from scratch to be able to to innovate and then the for me personally is and this this is where Mark and Lev really inspired me to do this was to align my talent with my ambition and a, just a real sense of purpose to, to align those things together in in a you know in this case in, in a new a new brand a new right. company yes. which is municipal what did the how, how why the name municipal how did that come about the name well we were really loving the fact that it's a word that everyone understands. Mm -hmm. It immediately has uh, people feeling a community connection, feeling a part of a community. There's a service component to it as well. And we love that there was a bigness to the name. It, it sounded like a big name. And we, we kind of, all three of us love things that are like very straightforward. If you look at, if you look at the way Mark lives his life, if you look, if you look at the way Lev lives his life, um, those are two really well-known people. And I'm not as well-known, but the one thing that I think the three of us share is there's a real, there's a real, um, there's a real commitment to integrity and having things be beautiful in how simple and uncomplex yeah. And so we love the name municipal for that yeah. reason. And they had that they had the name that they had they brought that with them. So um that was like a instant starter as soon as I heard the name. I was like, yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. It it kind of shot up really quick through the social media. Yeah. I mean, and, Mark you know, really... we started we started this business, Marin, about we over a year ago, we really didn't launch our site until August, September. So we were building the business. And the the one thing that we were, all three of us were highly committed to is we were always going to play the long game with it. Yeah. We didn't want to cut any corners. We didn't want to make any shortcuts. We didn't want to, we didn't want to use Mark's and Lev's celebrity cynically. Yeah. We didn't, we really wanted there to be substance some question following in a way some really cool yeah we wanted it to be we wanted natural it, exactly and we wanted people to feel like that this was a brand of this was a substantive and this is a substantive company 
that's built on the values of the company in in a way that we're and we're sincere about our desire to be a force of positive change and celebrating the power of of reinvention and transformation in people's lives in an effort for them to to really achieve their full potential as people mm-hmm. and we knew that that's a that's a mouthful and that's a that's a giant goal yeah and the only way we're ever going to achieve that is if we do it with honesty and transparency mm-hmm. and really embrace and understand what the what the value proposition mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. for the consumer and not ever take for granted that we've got one of the three or four most dynamic mm-hmm. celebrities on the planet and one of the three or four smartest people in the entertainment world. You know, both of them are top five smartest people I've been around. Mm-hmm. So we did we didn't want to we we wanted to do it in a really true way. Yeah. And so, Mark's been you know, at it for a long time. So is Lev. They've been at they it. They have longevity, and that's why, because yeah. they are they are they never compromise on the product right they never do and especially now where they can pick and choose what they do they're they are really selective mm-hmm. about the types of things that they go all in on and i'm pretty sure there's like a uh because remember mark was a model at one point yeah and so i'm pretty sure uh-huh. when he's creating this when he's creating the brand or the mark the merch he's thinking going back to his modeling days i'm pretty sure that comes at, uh, at a point it does and and more even more importantly mm-hmm. he, he, he's not going to do something he doesn't believe in right so he he and that was one of the reasons why he wanted to start his own brand rather than right. just be a uh, uh endorser or ambassador for another right. another brand he really wanted to be all in in a way where he could help he could help direct and drive kind of the decisions that we make Mm -hmm. now you've known mark for a long time what is some advice you got from him that stands out to you till this day that you still think of like okay that's a great advice that i still use well i the the biggest thing that mark will say to everyone is bet on yourself Mm -hmm. just put yourself in a position to bet on yourself and it all the things that come with that. So if if you're gonna if you're gonna bet on yourself, which we clearly have done here, mm-hmm. you gotta have you gotta have real character. You've gotta have hustle, creativity, passion, positivity, and you have to you have to really feel like you're unstoppable because there's always gonna be shit thrown in your way that act as barriers or obstacles. Mm-hmm. And the the key is you you have to have all of all of those values working in overdrive to push through them. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean that was the that was the thing Mark said I'll never forget it when I called him up and said Hey I'm I want to leave the role I have here and start this with you and and Lev and he said Well always bet on yourself mm-hmm. and so that's um, that's the best kind of advice I think anybody anybody's ever Three words better on yourself yeah exactly it's powerful but and yep. simple but that's I mean that's what I'm saying about Mark is everything is clear and simple and actionable he, and he comes from a place it. where people are very direct too where he's from well nobody's given him anything yeah I mean, he's earned everything and I, mm-hmm. I always laugh when people are like hey what's uh you know 
what kind of car does Mark drive or whatever? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. Or, you know, of course I know what kind of car you guys, but like, Hey, how much, right. think, how much think Mark's watch costs or whatever, when they see him, you know, social, I'm like, I have no idea, but whatever it was, he earned that motherfucker. Mm -hmm. Levinson that guy, is like, Levinson is like, works like nobody I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. He has just a inexhaustible energy level mm -hmm. and a drive, just like what we were talking about a while ago with Jordan and, and yeah. Tiger and these really elite Mm -hmm. Levison is more of like the hidden card. People b really barely know anything about him. He doesn't like to be. He doesn't like to be up front. He likes to. He like his work to speak for himself, mm -hmm. speak for mm -hmm. itself. But he has the same. He's the same as Mark in those ways, which I think is why they've had such a such a profoundly yeah successful, yeah and a, just a profoundly successful um, partnership is mm -hmm. they are they are wired identically share mm -hmm. the same values and they do not cut corners there's no, no corner cutting mm -hmm. there's no you know they do they do not accept convenience over what's right what's right exactly um, and there's a there's just a there's just a real integrity there that's mm -hmm. it's really awesome to be around now, towards the end of the podcast, I do these 10 questionnaires I got from Inside the Actor Studios. Uh-huh. And the first question You're going to be a little James Lipton with me. I like it. Okay, yeah, let's go. Okay. I'm glad you know who James Lipton is. Dang, sure. I don't have to introduce him. Okay, cool. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite word? Favorite word? Authenticity. Mm -hmm. What is your least favorite word? Negativity. What turns you on? Positivity. What turns you off? Selfishness. What sound or noise do you love? I love to hear any of my, my wife or two daughters laugh. What sound or noise do you hate? <laughs> I hate hearing people say no. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite curse word? Well, I have a whole theory about this. So, you know, my my dad is was really colorful language, and I if if you grow up with people that um, that uh, are you know aren't afraid to use colorful language, you either are are damn you either grow up in a damn and ass house or a shit and fuck house. Yeah. And I grew up in a, I definitely grew up in a shit and fuck house. So I'd have to say my favorite cuss words. Any any derivative of the word fuck. Mm -hmm. What <laughs> profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Good question. I, I can't even answer that because I'm doing what I love. So um, maybe maybe I would like to have been a comedy writer. Mm. What profession would you not like to do? <laughs> I even try to do the voice sometimes. Like I kept myself. I'm like I catch myself. I hear doing it. The voice. I hear it. <laughs> I wouldn't want to try to sell something that I didn't believe in. So there are a lot of, there are a lot of things out there that I would, I wouldn't be very good at. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like for him to say, come on in. If I, if I'm actually at the pearly gates, that means that I got, I got in right. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
any last words you'd like to give to the people any shout outs and where can they follow the brand and yeah go to municipal.com and that's our shop site uh, in municipal and all the social channels you'll find us pretty easily and uh i just you know i'll just pass along what mark said always bet on yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> all right guys this was episode 52 of intuitive minds podcast peace